Hey guys, you're about to listen to episode 14 of Inside Kevin C. On this episode, we have my good friend Nathan Lewis, who I met a couple years ago through, you guessed it, Super Smash Bros. And uh, <laughs> we, um, I got to know Nathan pretty well through one summer where I was basically over at his house all day, every day playing Smash. And uh, yeah, and this conversation is super interesting because. We talk a lot about social skills and uh, self-improvement and that sort of thing, and I was really impressed with the amount of introspection that he had already done on all of this and how he has developed his own personality, and uh, usually I just don't find that a lot of people have done that work, so I was super impressed, and I'm sure you will be too. Um, I think it's a really interesting conversation, so I hope you enjoy it. Does Kino eat the staples? Yeah. It's his iron intake. That's good. I actually need to throw them up as blood. Be getting more, <laughs> more iron, I think. Dude, me too. I straight up, I used to take iron pills all the time. What? Like, <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, as a kid, because uh, my sister was anemic and my mom always assumed I was because my hair would fall out, which, ho oh, ho, go figure. Um, oh, but, uh, yeah, I haven't taken an iron pill. So, I don't know what anemic means. means. Like, it's essentially an iron deficiency. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, there's, like, other... There's, like, sickle cell anemia that's super scary. It means your blood platelets are shaped incorrectly and, like, you're fucked, but, like... Oh, jeez. Normal anemia is just an iron deficiency. It's not anything too And that makes your hair fall out? It, like, yeah. I mean, not, like, chemo makes your hair fall out, but, like, your hair, like, doesn't... Yeah, it comes out more. I don't know. <laughs> you should. <laughs> I should check that Often. out, actually. Dude, straight up, though. And, well, and that's the thing, is that, like, I feel like unless you're eating, like, red meat all the time, you... You're like, low. nobody gets iron all the time. Like, no one's getting yeah. consistent stream. People are always talking about, like, all the cows are killing us because cow farts in the atmosphere. <laughs> Everyone's eating too much red meat. And, like... I don't eat that much red meat. Yeah. No one I know eats that much red meat. Like, Straight I don't up. know. Although, like, culturally, I, I should say, like, 90% of my red meat intake is either, like, fast food burgers. Oh, or, that's true. Fat, like, like, McDonald's. Taco Bell ground beef. Like, it's, yeah. like, not even, <laughs> not even the stuff that is, like, the farthest from the cow stuff <laughs> yeah. is, like, how I actually eat all my cows. Realistically. That could be a good, like... New restaurant, farthest from the cows. Like, <laughs> it's the exact opposite of farm to table. This thing hasn't seen a farm yeah. in ages. It's we been know you like it processed. Decades this is America. Since this beef has seen any green grass. <laughs> yeah, I guess I didn't. I always think of red meat as being like you cook it up all fancy and it's a steak or something, but it's yeah, it's actually everywhere. Dude, actually, I was watching this really interesting show called The uh, Taco Chronicles on uh, Netflix. I don't know if you've seen it. No, I don't know. It's all in Spanish, so you have to watch it with, like, <laughs> subtitles. But they talk about, like, one of the things they show is, like, this uh, butcher in this town, and they, like, still kind of do this tradition where, like, one cow feeds, like, the whole village. And, like, there's no such thing as choosing your cut. Like, you aren't, like, I want a nice, like, ribeye. Like, <laughs> literally, she just chops it up, and you buy it by the pound, and you just get the meat you get. Yeah. And stuff. And it's, like, yeah, I think that we're just all... Like, it, it's one of those things where I feel like we 
as a culture generally are like hey what's the best part of the animal cool like i don't want the rest which is like why we have like you know pink goo chicken nuggets from mcdonald's which i think yeah. is bomb which are great like yeah. chicken feet in there you got some beaks i don't are they still doing the goo because i know that got like Did blown wide open and then i don't know dude i i hope they it's not like i could tell the that. difference <laughs> yeah straight up i'll eat chicken tongue in my nuggets like i don't I don't know. Yeah. I, and that's the thing, too, is, like, nutrients. A lot of that stuff has more nutrients. Like, the different parts Chicken of the animal tongue. that are, like, <laughs> fibrous. I don't know if a beak would be considered fibrous, but, like... There better not be beaks in my chicken nuggets. That's <laughs> I where I draw the line. But if it's ground up enough, then it's, like, a seasoning. It's beak seasoning. Throughout. Mm, I don't know about that. Maybe if it's ground up enough. Yeah, that's like, what I mean. It's not like you're going to be where like, it's like, what is this crunch? Oh, it's a yellow <laughs> yeah. chunk with a nostril in it. Like, you know, like it's going to be... You're going to have some sort of, like, hidden, yeah. Yellow nostril crunch. That sounds like a dope cereal. On that note, though, I definitely had a filling come out uh, from eating a chicken sandwich from Burger King. And when I hit a bone... Really? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Feeling just popped clean out. That sucks. It was like a couple months ago. Yeah, dude. It was so awful. That's what I... I felt so betrayed. I was like, Burger King, that's your one job. Like, yeah. I don't care if you're feeding me gristle and bones, but grind it <laughs> up, dude. Grind it Come up. on. <laughs> Make it palatable. Well, that's all we care about is convenience. Right? I, mean, I don't care what's in my food. As long as I tastes good and it's fast well and there is like a relative threshold of quality right like you, it's like I, I feel like there is some sort of relationship there although it's like a pretty loose relationship like at some level like i want to eat like a chicken sandwich that was still like all covered in chicken feces right like oh uh, excuse me sir like <laughs> very fast this is only i see you only charged me 30 cents but my god i can't yeah i won't so I don't know, there's some relationship there, but you are right. We're very flexible when it comes to convenience. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing with, like, privacy now. Everyone's like, oh, I have no privacy, the internet, big tech stealing all our data. And, like, deep down, we're like, as long as I got access to all this stuff, I, <laughs> I really don't care. I feel like it goes, <laughs> I think there's two ways that that goes. I think there's those people, which are the majority that you're talking about. But I think that there are also a lot of people who, like, the second they realized that their personal information had value, and not, like, credit card numbers and stuff, but just, like, their browsing habits, you know? Right. The second they realized someone else could make money off of that, like, regardless of, like, not wanting personalized ads or anything like that, there are people who just protected it, like this is valuable and I own it and it's mine oh, and I made it. Like, this is my capital <laughs> I that I created, <laughs> you know? Like, I feel like that's, like, a mindset that, like, is is also being, like, I, I think it's going to become more common with data where people, like, want privacy solely because they want to own the value of their habits. Which honestly brings, like, a kind yeah. of interesting question about, like, how much of that you own or should own, you know? Yeah, should own or do, actually do own gets into a whole sorts of weird libertarian things like do you own your own body and well and in that thing. case it's like do you own your personality, right? Like let's say you are an individual and you have like a group of friends. Yeah. Do you own your personality? Like is someone like you're the funny guy, like are you right to be like 
no, I'm not. I own my personality. Fuck you. Or are you okay to be like, you know what? Like, those people also own a part of my personality and understand it and, like, can use that, yeah. you know? Practically, yeah, you're right. I mean, the the inception of our own identities, which we often cling to, are just created by our environment, including other people around us, right? So our friend groups, our parents, like, I've been thinking about my now former identity as an introvert, Ooh, right? wow, yeah. And it's like, well, where did that come from? Like, that idea of introvert versus extrovert probably hasn't even been around that long. And yet people will live their lives behaving in a certain way because they've been given this identity by other people. Well, so this brings up an interesting question. I've actually just started uh, this class studying um, lifespan development, which is like essentially the idea that development isn't just something where the like beginning of your life is most important, but that it's like a lifelong thing. It's like become more popular as the uh, like average age of death goes up more or less. Like people want to know more about like, hey, like I know that I developed to 30 mentally, like in terms of my literal brain development, but right. like what shapes my life from 30 to death and like can that be so much more to live <laughs> well yeah and you think of it like like I think of people who like um like say have a child die right like when they're older like who have raised children have no children in the home and then they have like a child pass away whether it be from like illness or accident and then it's like those years from 65 to 85, say, that they live, all of a sudden became dramatically altered, right? Like, their viewpoints, the way they interact with the world, all of a sudden is totally different. And it's like, development is like, being seen more and more is kind of an on, ongoing thing. But what's curious, like, what, what I'm curious about in terms of your thing is like, do you think that your introversion was created, like, as a result of your environment? Or is that an innate thing that you're like, starting to try and use the environment as kind of a stepping stool out of. Yeah. I think... Without getting too intellectual or, like, trying to be hyper-specific <laughs> to the that point of annoyance... galaxy brain on you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. I'm a Samus player, so... <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, uh, so wave dash back and tell me so, what you're going to yeah. say. All right. Um, so, in a sense, I think it's both I think we all have somewhat innate tendencies right and that's going to and this isn't even necessarily like fact because it could just be like you're making a single decision when you're extremely young uh, to go let's say fight versus flight mm -hmm. and someone's going to pick flight and someone's going to pick fight and maybe that's just like a coin flip and like you haven't even formed a tendency either way until that yeah. moment. Or perhaps it's already in you and let's say you're born, you have an 80% chance to pick one or the other. I don't know. I'll never know. So couldn't tell you there. But from childhood, I definitely had tendencies, whether it was pure action on my part or the behavior of authority figures around me and I definitely have been told many times that like oh you're very reserved or you were very reserved when you're a kid or 
you're very cautious, you're quiet, you are this or that, or you're a deep thinker, you know, and even though those aren't negative traits, it puts you on a track of how you think about yourself. And if you think about yourself in a certain way, that tends to exclude uh, thinking about yourself in other ways, which would be sort of seen as mutually exclusive. So if I'm a deep thinker, I'm not someone who's like, oh, quick to respond, loud, perhaps. And in order to keep the equilibrium of self-belief or beliefs about myself, like mm -hmm. if I have this identity as a introvert, then in order to maintain uh, a certain comfort level, I need to uh, behave in ways that um, are consistent with that identity. Yeah. So I'm not going to do these other things. And you just sort of well, well, see, I think pigeonhole yourself. I think, uh, well, so it's interesting for me because I feel like I'm, I'm coming from kind of the opposite direction where, like, growing up, everyone was like, oh, man, you were just out there, just everybody's friend, and you just, <laughs> man, just were so entertaining all the time. And, and yeah. like, I mean, that's part of me still exists, but by and away, I'm an introvert now. Like, I, I, I don't like uh, hanging out with people. I don't like, like, I like to be alone. I don't like to do all that. But I, like, feel that part of it, is uh, in some ways the opposite of what you're saying, where it's like you can pigeonhole it, but also like if everyone had told you like if you were naturally introverted and everybody was like you're just a normal kid, you know, I feel like you never would have thought about it and never broken out of it. Just like for me, if everyone's like you're not extra out there, you're just a normal kid, I probably would still be that kid because I would just not think about it. But like the idea that like oh man, I'm an extrovert and you're an introvert makes us reflect on that, you know, like. I know for me, it was like it made me reflect on the consequences of being that kind of a person. Like, I was like, oh man, like, if I am an extrovert, how does that affect my life? And there was like ways it affected it positively, but I saw so many ways it affected it negatively. Like, so many, mm -hmm. like, embarrassing moments and things <laughs> where I was just like, man, I should have just kept to myself, you know? Like, I don't know why I was always going out on these limbs to be all out there. And, uh, and I feel like if I had never been told I was an extrovert, then I would have never had that self-reflective moment. Like, if, if I hadn't been given an identity, I would have never been able to move away from it. Like, it was almost like a signpost or a point of reference to be able to move away from. I don't know. It's a weird... Right, that's... Weird thing. That seems, uh... So you, did you feel like you intentionally moved away from it versus... Very much so. Oh, really? I mean, to be fair, though, I've always been... I'm probably less so now, um, like, later in life, but my, my whole life growing up and all of, like, kind of my early adulthood years, I've always been very conscious about my personality. Like, as a kid, it used to be... It was as simple as, like, I remember being kind of that age where everybody's understanding social cues and stuff, and I would just sit there and think about, like, what makes people like people and, like, take notes and Dang. experiment <laughs> and be very conscientious. But, like, did that go well? Like, yes or no? Why? What things were good about it? And, like, let's come at it the next time and take notes on that experience. And when it comes to uh, any, any changes I've made in myself, it's very much the same. Like, my experiment, honestly, with extroversion was that I had, like, a year 
where my my goal, and given it was like very transformative year anyway, I was like experimenting with a lot of drugs and making a lot of new friends and doing a lot of things I really wasn't comfortable with already. So it was like a good time to kind of go into my turtle shell. But I just literally did not speak unless it was necessary for a full year. It was just like, I'm just like, I have so much data collected, like 18 years of like always talking and always enforcing social situations. So like, I just need a year of data <laughs> on not doing that and does does it make people like you and how do people react to it you know what how old were you when you did that uh so this was 18 or okay. 19 dang that's crazy <laughs> yeah like i have never talked to anyone who as i that i'm aware of who has done something like that I mean, I was high most of the time, yeah. so I tell you, if I'm like, my goal is to be quiet, and I just get totally loaded on some hallucinogen, I'm like, okay, well, I'm it's also not that hard peering through infinite universes, so not much to say currently anyway. Interesting. But, um... Because that's something I'm trying to think about more now. Like, I, I knew that I was very good in some social situations and very bad in others, but I was never like, well what can I do to, to fix that? I was just kind of like, I'm uncomfortable. This well, and it sucks. sounds Get like you out. were understanding the external situations, which is something I never did. Mine was always purely internal. I was always like, what is my effect? If I'm quiet, like even for the year where I'm like, I'm not going to speak a word. All I would think about for that year was like, how is me not saying anything affecting this situation? I like never was like, what is the situation? And does it, mm play better to this situation compared to others like I just feel like it's very different angles we came out Wait, from. so say that again so you feel like you were more I mean like focused when it comes let's to say your... I had a joke or like a particular kind of form of thought that I thought was really entertaining I I would pitch that same form of thought at a funeral or you know like a party because it was me enforcing myself on a situation and if it worked it worked was like kind of the way I always saw it if it was charming at a party it was charming at a funeral you know like I was never oh I, see. I was never good at understanding and and that's the dramatic example just to get my point across but like really there's a lot of nuance in terms of situations and like things like that and I never paid attention to what situations like required that's, different that's interesting things. actually because it, yeah it does kind of feel like we're we both screwed up on, well, screwed up is a little harsh, perhaps. We're just learning. Fucked up, but, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> uh, because I feel like when you are successful as an extrovert, you are focused on the external. And so if you're acting extroverted, but you're just thinking about yourself, that's maybe as you experience like where a lot of the hiccups or issues come up because you're not paying attention to how what you're doing is playing with the audience. Yeah. And we all know people who are very comfortable talking, and we wish they weren't so comfortable, because they're annoying. Yeah. Or they're, they're just obnoxious, right? I mean, I don't have any of those in my life anymore. Do <laughs> you know what you mean? And for me, it's like, well, I'm aware of the outside, but I'm just being so introverted, and I'm so aware of how other people are reacting to me, that it creates this heightened sense of insecurity because all I'm looking at is their reactions. And so the minute something not positive happens, 
it's gonna be like, ah, oh, I gotta stop, this is bad. Although that's right? like, I still like, I, I feel like we're kind of talking about the same thing there, because for me it's just like, it's, it's all about how you affect the situation, right? I never noticed how a situation was affected by anybody other than me, right? Like, uh, but that being said, I still lose sleep at night thinking of times I said something <laughs> and it wasn't received well and it was totally innocent and not a big deal and everybody moved past it and I just, like, four <laughs> years later am lying in bed thinking about it horrified at who I am as a person. I right? know. I think we all have that. Yeah. That so... cringe. Oh, those are so painful to do. My, my cringe highlight reel is long, <laughs> dude. It's... Oh, yeah. Wow, even talking about it is... Uh, I'm feeling yeah. some feelings. Yeah, it's... Yeah. It is nice, though. I think that there is a lot of comfort in the fact that that's generally, like, a universal human experience. Like, I have yet to meet anyone who's actually so dope and good at interacting with people <laughs> that they're just like, I've never felt that. Like, never had an awkward moment. I've yeah. never done anything so dumb or awkward it haunted me. So, So that's a relief, anyway. Well, I imagine the people who are best at social interactions are the people who have the longest list of faux pas that they recall. Yeah. Because if you're just socially oblivious, then you're probably not even recalling what you did because it's you like, didn't man, know in that, the first part. That lesson is place. learned, and it's learned deep. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. But that's, uh, that's interesting to know that you felt like you intentionally changed your way of interacting with people this is always a very conscious process like i said like well and that's I, like ironically and it's uh kind of another part of myself that i i lost but like i in the times i was the most extroverted and out there and crazy i was also the most careful like in terms of my lifestyle i was very careful about having good grades i was very careful mm about having good standing, like, in my religion or in my family and all of that. Like, I was always very, very, yeah, careful and intentional. Like, it was all about, like, knowing where you step before you step. And then, yeah, 18, 19, I just hit the point where I was just like, fuck everything, I'm just going to go crazy and YOLO it out. And it, <laughs> it was still, like, an intentional process, but it was nowhere near as as careful or like okay is this acceptable let's do it it was more like this might be really awful let's do it I'm like i'm gonna remember that for the rest of my life for all the wrong reasons that was terrible i'm never gonna do that again so do you think so has that changed just the result of you wanting to do these new things and so you felt like you needed to be less visible there's less eyes on you and on the Vice versa, when there are so many eyes on you and you're all extroverted, you gotta keep up appearances. Yeah, although, like, I don't know. Social situations are one of the few places where, like, my clutch comes in. Like, <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about. Like, you know, when you're, like, say, like, playing something competitive and you just, like, you just clutch something. You just feel it. You just feel it inside you, just, like, I'm going to make this thing happen. Yeah. And bam, it's happening. Um, it's one of those things where I don't feel those in competitive games. Uh, you've played enough Melee with me to know <laughs> that clutch doesn't come to me in actual competitive things, which is a whole other 
thing. But that being said, social situations are the ones where stepping up's really fun because it almost always pays off. Like I love job interviews, for example. I like adore job interviews because I've never fucked one up yet. Every <laughs> single one I've been to has been a home run and it's so thrilling to go into an experience knowing like I'm going to clutch the hell out of this. Like we had yeah. this uh pizza party at my new work last week I've been there like two weeks so I don't know anybody and it's a going away party for this guy and it was like so awkward and tense and just like nobody was really talking or anything and I just started just like talking about all kinds of crazy shit that was really <laughs> out there that you should never talk to with people you don't know and it was just like pretty much what you said like it was one of those things where I put like a huge spotlight on myself and I just like carried this conversation at this pizza party for like an hour and you know I was just like at the end I was like yes I clutched it like that's my clutch yeah. like social social is the one place where I'm not scared to make that leap like in terms of just like interpersonal stuff like that's always fucking thrilling that's a powerful skill to have yeah, I mean, I wish I had it in Melee. I'd trade. If I, if I, I don't could. think you should trade at all. <laughs> think about what you could do with that. I mean, compared to what you're going to do with Melee. I mean, Make a couple grand? Yeah, but that's the thing, right? <laughs> is that, like, all the business meetings in the world don't matter if you can't, you know, if you can't place top three in a tournament, you know? Like, why, why are you lying I, I mean, I have that same, like, weird nostalgia well, for... Something that doesn't matter, but... And that's the weird thing, and maybe it's why I hunger for that clutch or enjoy that clutch so much, is that, like, I was always... And, and you and I have talked about this, like, briefly in the past, but, like, I was raised to be incredibly competitive. Like, I had a dad who was all about sports, all about just being the best at whatever the hell you did, and, like, you just go for it. And if you are not the best, then you are hungry to be the best, you know? And uh, that hunger was like honestly just like a cancer on my ability to feel joy because I, I'm like really bad at a lot of stuff. Like, so I know to be hungry and work to be better, but I'm not very good at actually getting much better like at a lot of things. So I think that that's well, one of those things where yeah. that competitive bit in me that I've like mostly purged is like fed. It's like this little, it's like this beast that I have locked in a cage deep down and it's like me throwing it a bone every so often when I can, like, clutch out something, like a social situation. Right. Um, shoot. There's a couple things that I want to comment on, but, yeah, I also, again, of course, I have that competitive itch, too. And it is hard to... I don't personally feel like... Um, I'm bad at, like, things. Like, <laughs> you apparently... Like, and I disagree. Funny. I disagree about you. That's fine. Thank, that's very funny. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> um, but it is hard to sort of maintain a really positive self-image and not be the best at things when you have that, like, competitive drive. And that's something I had through Smash. It's like, I suck, I suck, I suck, I suck. I become the best in the state at PM. Yeah. I suck, I suck, I suck. Like, that part is, is really hard to fix, you even know, when the results are there. Actually, it's funny. So, like, uh, I, I went golfing for the first time in, like, three or four years, uh, about three weeks ago. Um, and the last time I had gone golfing before that was really bad. I raged out <laughs> and was playing a terrible game and uh, just lost it. Just, like, full rage. 
<laughs> lost it and pretty much was like, okay, I need to... Did you throw it. a club? Uh, <laughs> no, That's I good. used my club to destroy an entire tee box. Uh, okay. It was, uh, uh, yeah. It was one of those moments where, like, I, I, I actually don't remember it. I just <laughs> felt the anger... And then was there for the aftermath and was like, you oh, woke up, oh like, my God, on your back. Yeah. Regardless. <laughs> well, so this is the point, right? It's like, so I, when I was young, I uh, went to, well, my whole family went to this uh, golf camp with this like top 50 teacher in the world. And uh, it was just like a week long thing, you know, it was like, cool, you're with this instructor who's like super high level, has all these PGA pros, he's taught and all this stuff. And uh, after the five or six days we were there, he told my dad, and fuck this guy for doing this, oh. to 10-year-old me, but he told my dad, if that kid practices golf every day until he is 18, he will be on the PGA Tour. He has the gift. Whatever the gift is for golf, he has it. And you keep him on it, and he will be an incredible golfer someday. Um, fuck that guy for saying that, by the way, in case I didn't say that already. Um, but it created this huge expectation that, like, I should be good. And same thing, it was like, I suck, I suck, I suck, and every single time I would improve, my expectations would move. Like, I am supposed to be at least a scratch golfer, and until I am that, I fucking suck. Like, uh, that's... The, yeah. at least the bar and I should be better than a scratch golfer on all these shitty Idaho courses <laughs> um, but same thing I was never any good at golf and it's not like I played it every day it's not like I put in the effort needed but like I just sucked like I consistently golf over 100 you know like I'm I, I just not good and it always was a miserable terrible thing so do and, you think he was wrong about you? I mean I don't know Fuck that guy. I don't want to think about it. I think expectations are dangerous. Like, right. And it's different for everyone, but in my life, personally, I, I avoid expectations whenever possible. I find performance, for me, is always best when expectations don't exist. But my point was was that uh, before I went and golfed with, the, uh, my, I golfed with my dad again, who uh, was also there for my freak out three, four years ago, and uh, I was um, helping babysit Megan's sister's kids and uh, her sister's husband is super into golf and they had a golf digest out on the counter and uh, <laughs> the cover was That's this so PGA pro and it said how I got better at golf and the little subheader was just I just had to stop telling myself I suck and I was like whoa <laughs> why is this a revelation right now right like yeah. the that's not a real revelation but it is to me like i just have never i've always felt like and been assured that like you you should feel like you suck all the time you know like i mean you look at melee like melee pros think they suck like the gods all have lots where they're like i you. suck that being said i went out and i didn't golf for four years i mean i was probably golfing at least once a month for all the time before then literally the best round of golf I'm I maybe have ever played and the only thing I did different was the whole time I was just like I'm actually pretty good at golf like I literally never played a round of golf with that thought in my head ever you know like I I had never never done that before and like a I had a ton more fun and b I played so much better and I was just like man like and you feel better 
yeah, I'd dude, yeah, so just all around a better experience. But it's one of those wow. things that's tough. Like, competitiveness can be such a poison. I feel like, but that's I can't again. It's how you get great. I always talk about it like the Michael Jordan dilemma, where like Michael Jordan was like the greatest of all time, right? But his Hall of Fame acceptance speech is just like a, just a bitter asshole. Like that dude. It's just a bitter fucking asshole. Really? Even Interesting. Retired with the most amazing career of any basketball player in history. He is still just like everybody fucking sucks. Fuck them. Like, you know. <laughs> I'll have to watch that. Yeah, and it's that. just like uh huh. It's just like you, you I I don't think that you can have joy and the amount of hunger it takes to be great at the same time. I think you have to what? make yourself this, I thought um, you just Give yourself evidence of that, though. Oh, yeah. See, that works in, like, microcosms. So, like, for me, I'm never going to be the best golfer ever. Right. The best golfer Nathan can be, though, is the golfer who has confidence. That being said, Nathan, with all the confidence in the world, is, is never going to get to a PGA level. But I think that it, it's really just so, being at the upper echelon of anything competitive, right? Okay. Like, like, the difference between me and Michael Jordan is that I went and played a casual game of golf where I wasn't competing with anyone. Like, I mean, it was True. competing with myself. It was yeah. golf, whatever, <laughs> But I think when you're actually competing, when you're rubbing shoulders with people who are also fighting to achieve at the level you are and you can't both win, that that hunger does have to exist, but... Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. The hunger has to be there. Otherwise, you wouldn't even be doing what you're doing, really. I mean, at least you wouldn't be doing it for long. Yeah. Um, but what do you think, then, is the... Well, unless you enjoy it, right? They talk about, in, in the NBA, there's, you know, there's players who love it. Or football, there's guys who are just out there just cracking jokes and love playing football in the NFL. And they're at the highest level. But they're never the guys who are, like, you know, winning MVP awards or breaking records, you know. Interesting. So, I guess what explains... Obviously, like, you're not some... We can pretend you're I You're not know. some... Like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> give it your best shot, but, like, what explains that, then? Because you've seen in your life that positive mental attitude improves your performance. There's a lot of people at the highest, let's say, tier mm -hmm. of competition who have that mental attitude but you're saying that like literally the top 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 of the pyramid like the best ever all of a sudden switch their mindset to the opposite and have like a negative view of themselves and that gives them or maybe that doesn't give them the edge but that's a, at least a result of being the top I should say maybe like the most clarifying way that I can put it in terms of how I tend to see it or understand it is that it's different for everybody how they reach their pinnacle. Oh, okay. That being said, historically, uh, I feel like the vast majority of individuals who are at the pinnacle of any given endeavor are usually driven by an intense level of hunger and that is t deeply tied to like a certain self and i think that or... self-loathing <laughs> comes 
with it. I mean, it's it's like the classic superhero story, right? It's just that like something terrible usually drives people to greatness. And like uh, I think yeah, but a, is it a self hatred or is it a traumatic I, experience? Like see, like I think it could be both, right? Like uh, like let's take a. Like a football player, for example, like they had this thing on college game day a couple weeks ago that was like about this guy, and I I'm forgetting the details. So if someone listening has watched college game day <laughs> and knows I'm botching them, I'm sorry. But um, but like it was like this football player who had had like a brother drown when he was really young, oh, and then he had a friend get struck by lightning, uh, and die. And he was like this amazing football player. And you can bet that dude just wanted to get out of his own head, right? Like there, I think there are people who experience trauma and just want to get out of their own head and pick a thing and say, this is what I use to get out of my own head and become great just by nature of just like, I want to do anything other than be in my head. Um, and this is the mm. best distraction. Um, I think that... Uh, there is also, like, people who are driven by, uh, like, again, I think the pinnacle is people who are just, like, I'm never going to be good enough. Like, you know, say, like, my parents didn't want me. I am never good enough, and no matter how good I get at this thing, I am not good enough. But somehow I can convince myself that maybe if I'm just a little better, I will be, you know? Maybe if I'm the best, I'll be good enough. And then they get to be the best. Maybe if I'm the best twice i'll be good enough you know like right so practically it sort of seems like if people are that obsessed with something to become the absolute best they're not gonna have an issue with motivating themselves to go out and do that right like At least relative to most other people, no one has to kick them in the pants, even if they have a coach or whatever. Right. But let's say there's something you want to accomplish that's a pain and that you don't want to do, or at least do the work that it takes to get there. Yeah. Do you think there's a strategy for <laughs> helping yourself? Is it like telling you you suck and like... I don't know. You know, it's funny. I, uh, I was actually just thinking about this this week of like the question you just threw at me because I, I saw this video that was a personal trainer and like it's the dumbest video the comment was like this personal trainer is so brutal she makes all of her clients cry and it was just like you know like a gag reel of just like 15 different and people it's, she it's trained for and they were all just screaming and crying <laughs> no it's just like a whatever post on facebook like look at this trainer now this this is a yeah, yeah interesting life piece that this trainer makes everyone yeah, yeah, yeah. cry it's like a snapchat story but dude like i remember my personal trainers making me cry you know like really? having points wow. where you were just pushed to your absolute limit and you're like i swear to god i cannot do another rep and they're like i don't give Dude. a fuck do another rep and you know and then you're like oh i did that one rep and i'm already so past my limits they're like, good do like five fucking more and you're just like no i can't like those people exist and are cool and whatever but it's it i it's like a weird I don't know, dude. I've just been dwelling on that example a lot, and I don't even know what, like, meaning or conclusion I'm drawing from it, but I think it's odd that people... It was just an odd thing to see them be like, man, here's, like, a trainer who 
pushes them to their absolute limit. Go this trainer. <laughs> I was like, that's what everyone's meant. To, like, that's what coaches are meant to do, right? Is like train you past what you would train yourself. Like yeah. where it is literally at the point that every part of you is screaming like, I don't want this. And they're like, yeah, you do. You know, like, um, but I, I don't know. Like, I, I think that the way that we've been discussing it is getting convoluted because I think that just there's there's two entirely different worlds, which is like self-improvement and like being the best. And I don't think those paths are always the same. I think they are the same for a very, 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 very tiny percentage of the population yeah. who end up being the best. Outside of that, I think the majority of the way that people experience self-improvement is separate. Um, but in, in that example, I think that the person who needs to have a trainer make them cry is probably not going to be as effective long-term, right? Like that person, I bet if you did a study, my hypothesis, which obviously we can't test, but if I had to make a hypothesis <laughs> or a theory would be that the person who needs to be externally forced to do things that they want to do right. like aren't going to do it eventually it's actually it's uh, it's kind of an interesting thing like i'm getting back into school and i swore up and down i would never go back and i've done that two or three times and every time i prove myself right i fail out and i'm like yeah you shouldn't have gone back to school but i was kind of freaking out uh to megan uh, last week because my semester t started this week so actually I guess today started my term and um, and I was like dude I just like I don't feel motivated like I don't and and I felt this before and like man am I just gonna fail out again like what am I doing like is this really the right decision and uh, she gave me some of the best advice I've ever received on the motivation front which was uh, like she <laughs> she let me essentially wind myself out and then was just like all I know is that you must feel some motivation or you wouldn't have done it. And if you made the decision to do it, then there is something inside of you that will drive you through it. And it's not my job to tell you what it is. It's your job to know mm. why you're doing it. And it's your job to remember it in the moments it's tough. Which I think is like external influences can help you, but like unless you like, so you can hire a trainer saying, I want to get fit. But unless you really know the reasons you want to get fit, the second that trainer leaves, it's not important whether they were there or not because you'll just fall right off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like... It's so obvious. But that's not to say the trainer's worthless. Like, you know, no, yeah. I think it is good to be externally pushed as long as you always have that awareness of your own motivations. Well, and sometimes it seems like maybe you just need to rely on the external for, like, a little bit. And then once you've internalized it, like training wheels. Yeah, you can just do it yourself. I I don't know if I've ever experienced that, but I don't know. I've never had like a personal trainer or coach. I felt like that was super effective. <laughs> I guess <laughs> like I've had lots of soccer coaches and this aren't these aren't like personal one-on-one -on -one situations, but right. It's like I practice, do this, okay, I'll do it, and then after practice, or not after, but 
on non-practice days, you should be doing this on your own. And it's like, I never did that at all. No motivation to do that. Yeah. Um, but I have found that certain habits that have stuck with me, it just, just took a little while. And then some part of my brain started to like it. And I just don't stop. Well, and that's an interesting, I, I feel like that's um, its own kind of thing. Like habitualization is one of the, if that's a word, yeah. habitualization sure. is like one of the, one of the tools you can use for self-improvement. It's the best tool for uh, everything. I yeah. agree. I mean, like it's, it's like for me doing like, you know, this little, uh, like two hours of cardio every day. It's just like, <laughs> I've, I've done it it's enough that it's just, I don't even think about it anymore. It's like it doesn't even perfect, yeah. bother me anymore. You know, it's like not, I don't have to drum up motivation. It's just kind of like, oh, well, this is the thing I do. Yeah. Um, it's double, it's a double-edged sword. So I think it's a tool, but yeah, exactly. Because also it's like if I decide that I'm just going to come home from work and eat a whole bag of chips <laughs> every time I come home, someday I'll just start doing it without thinking, right? Like yeah. It's just like, this is, I have to do this. Well, it becomes the norm, and then I think part of what really ingrains the habit is you start to identify with it in some sense, or if it's not that deep, it's like it becomes a belief where it's like, after work, I don't feel good unless I eat a bag of chips, or yeah. like I can't really relax unless I do this one thing, and like you've just convinced yourself, and that's how it habit becomes so hard to break yeah yeah it's actually an interesting point I think about that in terms of uh like smoking cigarettes and obviously that's a substance addiction so it's like it's it, it has it's, its like, own factors yeah. yeah like there's physiological things at play but what I was going to say is that when I finally quit smoking I I had little to no physiological like withdrawal or desire or need. It was almost entirely habitualization. Like mm -hmm. it was it was entirely just a matter of like that was something I did and who I was and the way I was comfortable. And it was the same thing. It was like I could tell myself all the time it would be like if I like was between packs of smokes and hadn't gone to the store, you know, and it had been like three hours big. Like, oh, my headache is so bad. I need a <laughs> cigarette. But when I decided I was going to quit, I, you know, I woke up one day and decided I wasn't going to have one and didn't smoke all day and had no headaches and no anything and no wow. nothing. And like, I think that, yeah, that was definitely something. How are your mind? Where even when there are physiological things at play, your mind is like the more powerful habitualization yeah. thing there. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy that, like you said, like, that's who I was. Like, did you refer to yourself as a smoker? Of course. Yeah. I mean, I smoked for, like, seven years. Like, I I couldn't I be... I just feel like I've known people who smoke consistently, in my opinion, for, like, I'm not a smoker. I just, like... A lot of people smoke socially, though, which is weird, right. which so I So they don't still, identify with it. I would still consider them smokers, but I also agree with their choice not to consider themselves smokers but for me it was like it was a pack a day whether i was hanging out with people or not right like yeah. it was a consistent every hour on the hour i was smoking a cigarette and that was part of who i was like and that's why it's theoretically hard to break is because it's like i'm getting rid of part of me versus yeah. like if it's just an environmental thing where like i smoke when i'm with such and such or when i'm here then if you just don't go there 
or don't hang out with them. It's like, oh, this isn't even hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because like smoking's one that I feel like is almost entirely negative, right? Like, yeah. uh, or smoking cigarettes, I should say, for where this is going. But um, like, so it's it's pretty easy to like shed the smoker. Uh, there's really like, no like, like positive it's, pretense it's a weight use. off your shoulders right yeah there's no like I'm a smoker ah ha ha you like me better now like it's always bad and it's like at the very best neutral um, but actually I felt that a lot with uh, not smoking weed anymore because that was kind of a similar thing it was like I did that for like seven years and it's been you know whatever a year and a half or so since I stopped and um, like even that sounds weird to me but like Shedding the stoner one was, like, actually really hard for me. Like, that was actually one where specifically the idea of, like, if you quit smoking weed, you're not a stoner anymore. It was like, yeah. oh, no, but that's, like, but my that's friends are stoners. Like, around it, yeah. Yeah, and, and just, like, I don't know. Like, I'm like, will I stop being relaxed? Will I, like, you know, will I stop being... That chill hot dude. Yeah. <laughs> Go figure. I did stop being a chill hot dude. I was totally yeah. right. But yeah, but just that there were so many things that were important to me as a result of that, right? I mean, even if you think of like legalization of weed, like at that point, I was a stoner and I was like, yeah, it should absolutely be legal. And I feel really strongly about it. And now I'm like, eh, it should be. <laughs> <laughs> And stoner yeah. me would be horrified to know that current me exists it's with that thought about of it. just being like, eh, it's okay either way. Yeah, like, I don't know. I wanted to return to Megan's advice because on the flip side of, like, finding your motivation, making a decision like that and then refusing to be worried about it is also a good habit to get into because... Worry is the most useless emotion, really, you can <laughs> have ever, right? And a lot of people decide something and then just drive themselves crazy with what-ifs. But making a decision is so powerful because you kind of release this whole mental load, right? That's the way that I see it. You should have that at least, right? Like, I The way that I done. see it... And, and, I mean, we were talking about, you know, whatever awkward things that have kept me up at night. But outside of that, I am someone who has made an incredible number of terrible, stupid, shitty decisions. Like, big, life-altering, terrible decisions. But I don't have, like, a single regret. You know? And I don't think I ever will. Like, I just don't. Like, I, I'm in that same boat where... Uh, I think there is nothing more relieving than making a decision. Yeah. Because it's owning that decision. But, that being said, I think there's a lot of people who don't feel that way. Like, I think Megan is kind of one of those people who makes a decision and then dwells on whether it was the right decision. or. I think, yeah, I'm not, I'm not way, like... Yeah, it's, it's dumb. I'm trying to change that, of course, yeah. but... And then, yeah, with the regrets, like, I have plenty of regrets, and most of them, I think, are from not acting instead of acting. Yeah. Not making a decision. That's what sucks. It's like, what if, you know? Yeah. And that makes sense. Probably the closest I've been to regret is not doing things. But even those, it's like that, 
like cause me to want to act the next time. Right. Yeah, in, in a sense, not that everything has to be a lesson to not be a regret. But... Well, in a sense, there's always something you've you've gained from it, and even if not that, like you said, it's who you are now. So what do you are you gonna hate on it? That's not good. Well, and that's the thing is that like if you're cool with who you are now, then you shouldn't have any regrets because the choices you made in every little thing that's happened is what got you to where you are now. And if you're not down with who you are now, then every little thing that got you there somehow allowed you the perspective to realize you're not down with who you are right now and <laughs> the ability to be aware of that and change that. So you should also be down for it. Yeah, you can always frame it in a good way like that. Yeah, if if the past is just a tool that informs the present and you're aware of it, then like the past has been a success, right? Like yeah, as long as you are informed in the present, then yeah, you should learn yeah. what worked and what didn't and then get rid of the stuff that didn't and then you're just looking forward. Yeah. And then you forget everything else. I think that that's actually like something that I'm kind of working on now like not intentionally but uh just um kind of incidentally to like my self-improvement that I've been trying to uh, nail down is like just being more present I feel like I've I've spent time dwelling in the past spent a lot of time dwelling in the future and I've like like I feel like life is best in the present which sounds stupid because it's all in the present and you literally can't experience life not in the present yeah but mentally, it's really, I think it's really easy to be elsewhere. Yeah. Like, I think I feel that way about, um, like, school is another good one where it's, like, kind of in my own self-reflection. It's, like, part of what's always been so daunting. Like, and I've seen so many people graduate. And, I mean, like, I have people I went to school with now who are doctors and who, you know, have all these degrees. Like, Brandon's getting his law degree. There's stuff like that, you know. There's people blowing past me. And somehow I was just always frozen in fear about even getting my first degree. And it was always the future. It was, like, looking towards, like, oh, you have, like, two more years of this shit. And, like, oh, man, I hope you're ready for two years. Are you, like, braced for that right now? And, you know, really, it's like, oh, I can type out this one stupid essay right now, like, presently. That's, like, how you do anything big. It's, right. like, one decision, one moment at a time, one present thing at a time. I think, yeah, I think, is it an AA where they tell you, like, you don't have to be sober for the rest of your life. You just have to be sober tomorrow or today, you know? You say a lot of things in AA, yeah. let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but I've I, never been to AA, I've probably, so I've just... probably heard that in an AA meeting before, though. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's pretty cliche advice, just, like, one step at a time. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I, it's funny because, like, it's one of those things where everybody's brain works different, and I think that that is, like, a piece of advice I've heard a hundred times. And it's one where it, like, actually clicked in my head. And I was like, maybe if someone had just said it to me with different words, I would have been like, oh, yeah, <laughs> just be in the present. Oh. Yeah. That's why communication is so important. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is that uh, the, the ears that hear are just as important, if not more important, than the mouth that actually says it. Like, the words that are spoken are less important than the head that interprets it. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of things that you can be aware of, I think, and start 
acting upon in social situations, that can really improve your your success. Just as far as again, like using words that other people use. Like if you describe something to me, right, saying this it's this adjective and this adjective, I want to describe it back to you or describe something with me that's relatable using your same words. So you're you're essentially talking about communicating listenability right now, where it's like, I'm a good listener, and I'm going to communicate in a way that shows I'm a good listener. Um, yeah, but... Like mirroring adjectives, I, think, stuff, I feel like, follows that. Yeah, so it's not just going to make you think you're... Or you make, make you think I'm a good listener, but, like... Maybe it, it is that, but beyond that, it'll make you feel like, oh, he actually cares, or we're similar. And so... Theoretically, if I mirrored all your terms, let's say, you're going to feel like, oh, Kevin really gets me. Instead That's so of funny. In me saying everything like in my version. You and I think of almost the exact opposite in so many ways. Because <laughs> I, I literally do the exact opposite. Like if someone throws a couple adjectives at me, I'll literally formulate a couple synonyms and be like, it's passed through my brain. And this is me saying it back to you, showing that it has passed through my brain. Right. I, I do that too. I've been trying to switch over um, to try it out. <laughs> oh yeah, this is coming from the guy who's not conscious about this kind of stuff. Okay. Well, it's much harder in the moment, right? I mean, it sounds like you're pretty intentional about it, but... Well, I, I'm interested I in it, and I'm, and I'm reading about it. I'm super into that, but... So I want to be more intentional about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I do that same, similar thing too, because it's like, I want to make sure I understand... And for me to best understand what you're saying, I have to phrase it in terms that I use, so my preferred terms. So if you agree, let's say you tell a story, and I say, you're, so you're saying this, and I use my language, if you agree to what I said in my language, that confirms that I've understood, right? But if you're trying to, like, feel closer to the other person, let's say, if I use your words, more quickly it can make you feel like I understand what you're saying instead of asking for your confirmation. Yeah. Well, in terms of communication specifically, I think you bring up an interesting point, which is like that there's a lot of factors at play. Like for example, when I was working, um, doing tech support for Apple, like really all I was doing was relaying information, right? Like I was trying to get people to follow instructions. Like they'd be like, Hey, here's my problem. And I'd be like, okay, I need you to click this and do this and do this. Like I would think of the things and then I would walk them through very conscious steps. It was all just relaying information and trying to be communicating it well enough that they would follow yeah. it. But really like in the end, why I was so successful at that job was that I like, and everyone else who was really good uh, essentially learned that trust was as important as anything that like that, like communication had to start with the kind of communication that makes somebody feel close to you. And mm -hmm. if someone felt close to you, they literally would hear you better. They would literally understand you better. You know, like you would tell someone to click on the apple on the top left corner of their screen. And if they didn't feel like you were friends with them, they'd just be like, wait, 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 wait oh, 
oh, I, okay, okay, I see it, you know? And if it was someone who, like, you spent 30 seconds, like, getting to know them a little bit and, like, having the form of communication that feels close or, like, maybe cracking a little joke or something, be like, yeah, I need you to click that apple on top left, and then, bam, they're on it, you know? Like, that communication stream, like, widened and allowed so much more information back and forth as a result. Did you feel like you had intentional strategies for creating that? Definitely. Yeah? Definitely. Well, that one was and like humor is one, so... It was, like, actually... We actually had metrics, right? Like, part of being good at my job was getting things done quickly and having people right. be happy. So, like, it was just kind of part of the whole... Like, I had to be aware of it and conscious of it. Like, But that being said, like, both ends were met. People were happy and things got done faster if it was... Uh, if, like, trust was where you started. Yeah. Like... So when you say trust is where you started, do you mean, are you assuming trust when you first talk to them? No, you like build it. Okay. It's like you have to establish a connection first. It's yeah. like essentially you're talking to someone and this is confusing in my own head because I dealt with Wi-Fi a bunch, but it's like essentially if I'm a Wi-Fi router trying to talk to someone and we have a really shitty Wi-Fi signal <laughs> and they're just like, oh, what's going on? Oh, like half the picture's <laughs> loaded, you know? I can sit there and we can load a web page. They could browse the web for an hour and still find what they need. But it makes a lot more sense for me to just plug in an Ethernet cable. But, um, but it was definitely, uh, like the type of people were different. Nobody goes into FedEx office looking for like a... Because they're having a good day. Well, no one wants to chat. Everybody's like, I need stuff done now. I need stuff printed That's now. True. I'm trying to ship something. Let's go. If you're going into a, the city peanut shop, you probably don't have a lot going on that day. <laughs> Straight up. And that, those were like, that was peak, right? Because like Apple was like, people called you with problems. Usually they wanted it to kind of get Yeah, that's get true though. Apple and... would be like... I, I realized though it was really nice having someone reach out to you in a moment of like need it's a weird thing troubleshooting was reaching out in a moment of need from a customer standpoint because they were like dude this thing's not working i don't even know if it can be fixed and sometimes you can like give them a lot of reassurance absolutely we're gonna do everything we can we can absolutely try some stuff out and you know if we don't get it solved today then i will do everything i can to make sure we get you taken care of in the future like there's like ways you can like uh, like, oh, my need is being relieved yeah. off of me. FedEx office was all expectation. If people came in with expectation, and the bigger the expectation, the worse it was. They would come in, I need you to print 400 copies of something right now. And we'd be like, definitely not. <laughs> like, that's going to be like 24 hours. And they'd like need it bound and all this crazy stuff. And they'd be like, well, my expectation was that this was a service you provided, and it would be done right now. Mm. Like, well, I am... No matter how nice I am to you or how well I put it, <laughs> this is a bad situation and you're going to yell at me, which happened all the time. Actually, I went in to get my last paycheck last week and uh, I was like, yeah, how have things been over here? And like, well, no one's made, uh, screamed so much that they made a, like a huge scene in like two days. So it's been really good. Wow. It's that bad. It's huh? bad, dude. Yeah. Nice. I mean, it pays well and has benefits. It's just like you actually just have to be like down for all that.
I everybody who worked there like had some part of their life where they were like putting up with like really insufferable shit. Like yeah. there's this girl who lived with her mom and her mom's four cats and just like her mom's boyfriend was an asshole and she was oh at that job gosh. for four years because she was used to dealing with oh. insufferable <laughs> shit, right? Like the, like there was the manager who like had all these crazy family problems all the time and he was totally comfortable there because he was used to insufferable shit, but yeah, it was that's like, depressing. It's like I'm not really into this. Like yeah. I actually, uh, when people scream at me, like kind of bums me out, and I prefer to have a life where that's not consistent. And again, it bummed me out too because I was like, I'm supposed to be good at talking to me. like this was my thing, and it's just getting massacred here. Like my one thing where I'm like, I'm gonna clutch it. Oh, always <laughs> screaming. <laughs> like that's. Yeah, but at least you have the, the foresight for realizing it was the circumstance, right? Yeah. yeah uh, I guess fair. not foresight, but... The, the uh, clarity. Yeah, the, the clarity. The, <laughs> we'll call it The clarity. retrospect. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of felt that way at when I was working at the BSU housing desk, too. It's like, yeah. there's just files on that should be on my computer that are not because someone was... Someone else somewhere screwed up, or no one really cares. Yeah. So it's not here. So I can't give this to you, customer. Sorry. Or, yeah, the rules are just kind of made so that when you screw up once, you pay the school money because that's what they want. So if you're locked out, it's like 25 bucks. Yeah. And it's like, I got to tell you that. And that happens every single week to someone new. Right. And people are not happy. And, Especially with leases, it's like, yeah, sorry, uh, you are not a, you shouldn't be living here. Like, you're not a student right now, so I don't know what to tell you. Like, <laughs> I can't help you with anything. Like, student. Uh, this is bad. And Housing. then, yeah, there was one case where that happened. A person was living there who wasn't supposed to, and she and her girlfriend or something like that came and just flipped out and that was, <laughs> that was the ugliest uh, thing I've had to deal with well and and I think that the real thing that I learned from that whole experience and it's kind of what you're describing is that there's like there's two forms of customer service there's actual customer service where it's like you your job is to be delightful to make people have good experiences to uh, like brighten someone's day to essentially have interpersonal communication that's like good and, and enjoyable and then there is literally just customer service where it's just all damage mitigation like, yeah. or where it's a significant part of it like I think like servers fall into that right like yeah you can make someone stay awesome but also the main thing you're <laughs> making money because of is that you're gonna have people who are awful and you are the one who has to deal with them like we are paying you to be the guy who stands there and deals with it that sucks. Yeah, well, it's it's good to know, right? Like, yeah. it's there's there's always that differential. And then there's, I mean, obviously there's a ton of other jobs not related to customer service that fall in dealing with customers. But I think that those are the two main branches of customer service. Yeah. Like providing good experiences and mitigating bad ones. Yeah. <laughs> Seems obvious which, gra which side of the grass is greener there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well... Having seen both sides, I, I felt very <laughs> comfortable making a judgment on that, yeah. That, uh, yeah, thinking about working in customer service, 
sort of opens my eyes to like, wow, I could be so amazing in social interactions and like every, every single one. It's just like, just cause I'm on the clock doesn't mean I have to, or just cause I'm off the clock doesn't mean I have to like get all quiet and like <laughs> sad or weird, you know, like, that's oh man, I can actually channel this all the time. That's my thing, though, is that, like, uh, one of, like, I feel like a part of my growing up was learning, like, in, in early adulthood was learning that, like, and it's, uh, it sounds stupid, it's almost like a kind of dumb, like, pearls before swine kind of thing, but it was, like, there were people who I definitely put a lot of social ener- energy into that were just not worth it, like, people I put a lot of charm into or people who I made, like, a big effort to be, yeah. like, very friendly or very, like, welcoming or put all my, yeah, like, good social energy into, I was just like, why the fuck did I waste all of that good stuff on those terrible people, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's the thing. Is like, if I'm at a job, it's like, I'm making money, every person gets the good me. But when I'm off the clock, I'm like, I don't know if you deserve it yet. So once yeah. I know, pedal to the metal, you're being <laughs> a really cool guy, or who I think's really cool, right? What, as cool as I'm able to put off. But until then, like, it's... That's smart. There is a balance between wanting to give out... Like, if you don't know the person either, then, yeah, like, you don't want to ruin it for yourself, right? You don't want to hold back so much where they're like, well, I don't want to give you anything because, you know... Which I've made that mistake, too, where it's like, oh, man, actually, I do want to interact with that person. Yeah. But it's too late. I needed to, like, ride away. Yeah. Put out that good impression. But good to do that first maybe second time then figure it out and if you're not into it then and if you really nail yeah. the first couple times you can usually you know you have some get away with room to work <laughs> yeah like you have some room to work and figure stuff out there yeah, yeah. If, if you've left a good impression but i think you're right yeah i don't know i think the thing too is like kind of like just to the point of my essentially leaning towards introversion is that I just don't have any desire to like I like I I guess in terms of my personal net like positive social experiences don't really do anything for me outside of work like having a positive social experience with someone that I'm a not working with so I like don't see all the time and B, won't make the choice to see probably ever again because I'm introverted as hell. It's just like, oh, well, there's no net gain or loss by being good or bad in that situation. Like, I feel like I've met a lot of people who are, like, friends of friends who, like, are just one-offs who you just meet once and then you never see them again. Or maybe you see them, you know, with that friend while you're having a drink or whatever. And it's like, might be worth remembering their name. But I, I feel like even if I nail it and they're like, oh, this guy's awesome, then I've gained nothing. I see them and it's like, that person thinks I'm awesome, but I don't care because I don't know them and I don't want to hang out with them and I don't have any interest in social anything. Like, my net gain for putting out that energy is is zero. Like, I've gained no extra joy (laughs) or happiness or comfort or self-assurance. Like, yeah, I mean, I think that obviously there are some people that fall into that category for me as well, but I feel like there's still a lot of people that I do want. I feel like I still have a lot to gain, you know? Yeah. If it's, yeah, professionally, of course. Like, especially going into, like, a highly person-based 
career, like, you really want to have those skills literally just, like, to make more money. Yeah. Right? And then you're married, so that's a person who's probably <laughs> worth uh See, but that's the thing the is it's, like, I feel like that is where social skills don't... I, I feel like social skills don't play into a marriage. I feel like they really? very much play into, like, a long-term relationship outside of marriage. I feel like marriage is, is very much its own animal. Speaking of the present and the future, I feel like every long-term relationship I've been in was all about the present. If things didn't feel good in the present, it was a red flag. Mm. And I feel like in a marriage, the goal is always like a lifelong commitment. Yeah. And I think that as a result, like I do things in my marriage like, Tonight's a perfect example. I went out and saw a movie because, like, I am working, uh, like, in the mornings part-time now, and Megan gets off at 5, and I'm home every time she's home. And just was, like, essentially pushed on her, like, I want you to have alone time, not with me around, and I'm going to go do other things because I think that's what's best. And it was with the idea in the conversations we had that's like, it's our first year of marriage and this is where we build habits that will affect the rest of our lives. And I want to make sure that those habits are ones where I'm happy and you're happy. If I was in a long-term relationship with her, I'd probably be like, yeah, I'm here all the time. I live here. <laughs> you know, like... Right. And if you're not cool with that, I'm sorry. Is that a problem? Do we have a red flag I'm seeing here? Yeah. You know, like... I think that um, just like in a marriage, it's less about like, am I being charming? Am I being this? Am I being that? And it's a lot more about like, am I paying attention and am I adjusting? Uh, so yeah, I guess I see that as like being included in social skill, right? It's like, oh dang, like maybe it's been a lot of me for you. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm going to remove myself from the situation. But yeah, in the sense that's like, imagine trying to be like on, right? With yeah. someone 24 seven. I guess it feels Impossible. different because for me, my long-term relationships have felt like that. Like I would come home or hang out with them and I'd be like, all right, this is like your, the, your girlfriend forever. You got to turn on that girlfriend charm. forever. Like, you know, if, if you've been dating someone for a long time, it's still yeah. just like, all right, time to bring my A game. This is my main person. But I, like, none of that pressure exists in my marriage. Like, I, I come home with zero need to be on my A game socially or be the as cool of a guy as I know I'm capable of being whenever I see my wife, right? Like, That's interesting, yeah. I feel like that's something I've never experienced. Well, and what's weird is, is that with my, like, marriage currently, so let's see, it's been a year and, like, eight months since we really got, like, serious or whatever. Not even since then, since we, like, started kind of, like, being a thing. Really, we started dating like May of 2018. It was like when we were officially dating. Maybe you could call it February of 2018. But um, realistically, I have been with Megan less 
time than my longest long-term relationship. Mm. But that being said, it's like, it's so, it's just so different. Like I think about it so often about how a marriage is just such a different thing than I expected it to be. Like I was like, I get long-term relationships. I understand relationships and a marriage is like a whole different thing that I like requires, I think more attention, but, um, I'm sure that differs for people, but primarily requires a whole different skill set. It's like a whole different, I feel like a whole different uh, toolbox you have to bring to that table. That's when a life is a goal, like a life with someone compared to just enjoying moments with someone. Yeah, so you're forced to think long term and you're more willing to put up with like present unhappiness or. Yeah you know that, like, there's going to be ups and downs. It's like, all of a sudden, it's like, well, it's like your own life. It's like, I'm doing this now. It's delayed gratification, you know? Well, it's like, not even that. It's like, it's not even like, ah, oh, it'll get good eventually. <laughs> like, I, any present off-putting stuff is, like, not even bothersome or off-putting. Like, I, I don't even have, like, real annoyances like things annoy me but they don't bother me which is like hmm. I've never felt that in a relationship like and it's just it's something I've only felt since I've been married is just like well that thing annoys me but I'm okay with it like yeah. it doesn't bother me like I don't know it's a weird thing I don't really relate to that. <laughs> yeah, well, and again, neither had I before May, you know? Like, yeah. it's well, just a whole whole different animal. Marriage, a whole different animal. You yeah. Put that on a big poster. Yeah, that'll be the subtitle of the You could slap two different animals on it. Yeah, <laughs> like, a, <laughs> like a pig and a horse. You, I'll let you pick the animals. <laughs> a whole, whole different animal. <laughs> yeah. well cool I is that uh, is that how it's done is that that's how it's done we never have really a real exit there, you I don't, usually just you don't have it. a little outro tune like a little I have an outro I, I speak over with the outro only Kevin <laughs> I should do my own songs yeah but I never do like a thanks for coming on the podcast bro like no, thanks no, for having me kevin it's yeah. great to be here i'm a big fan you can follow nathan lewis at right. <laughs> thanks for listening i hope you like subscribe yeah. we'll see you next time plug yourself yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool get thanks so much for listening to episode 14 of inside kevin c i hope you enjoyed getting to know nathan a little bit better um i know i enjoyed our conversation and uh, as always Please let me know what you thought of the episode. Uh, Give me a comment or uh, you can message me directly. So I'd love to know what you think. Anyways, enjoy the rest of your day.